Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege tonight of, um, of getting to gaze upon you and remember. There's something that happens when we gather together and we remember together how good you are. There's just something so powerful about that. I know that I can think of um, so many times uh, coming into worship with my family here over the past decades and, and just uh, literally experiencing some kind of transformation in the midst of that worship, some kind of shift. And so, Lord, I, I pray, whether that's already happened, whether it's coming right now, I, I pray, God, that you would grab hold of our hearts and the Holy Spirit, we give you permission freedom to be yourself here just to lead us teach us god we're so blessed we're we're uh, we're the most blessed people of the universe your sons and daughters and i am praying that that reality just comes so much clear to us so that we can enjoy it in jesus name amen so uh, my message tonight um, we are god's dwelling place I'm kind of going to jump off a little bit more from what I started last week. Um, last week I did kind of a quick overview, if you were here, of really um, how God said he's going to restore all things through Jesus and is, is restoring all things. And um, I explained in several passages even what that looks like, um, for example, with the fivefold ministry, the gift that Jesus has given to the church. But tonight um, I'm going to just come about it in a slightly different way. We are God's dwelling place. I looked for a picture earlier today, and I found this one. I loved it, loved it, loved it, uh, because, because um, you know, when we say we're God's dwelling place, we know most of us know that Christ lives in us, so that makes us His dwelling place. But actually, the way Scripture talks about it, it's much more of a of a family group thing than it is an individual thing, and it's really hard for us to get that because most of the time we're thinking about it. By ourselves. Usually we're somewhere reading our own Bible. We're thinking about it. And we say, okay, Christ in me. And I'm his dwelling place. But there's something about collectively. Christ in me and in you and in you and in you and in you and you. Is the place that God wants to dwell. I think that's one of the reasons why, why there's spe- uh, such a special anointing when we're together. It's not that God loves you any less by yourselves. In fact, I have amazing times with the Lord that, that I wouldn't trade for anything. But there's something different about coming together. What is that? Why, why does he dwell with us um, in such a special way? We're going to look at that. And so this picture, um, you know, of, of uh, the baby Jesus, um, let me read this to you from um, Ephesians, uh, sorry, Colossians. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It's not actually up on the screen right now. But it says, for God is satisfied, he's pleased to have all of his fullness dwelling in Christ. And we know that, especially at Christmas time, we talk about how God came in his fullness to dwell in one man, right? And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back or reconciled to himself. By his blood, which has already been shed, everything's been reconciled, it's been brought back. Would you agree that you're part of everything? (laughs) Do you see, do you see, I just love this picture because 
Yes, God, God was pleased for all of his fullness to dwell in Christ, but Jesus turned around and said, and all of my fullness dwells in all of you. So this picture of the light of the glory of God in Christ now over all of us is so appropriate. And it goes on to say that, uh, this is in the Passion Translation, and I'm going to back up a little bit. And by the blood of the cross, everything in heaven and on earth is brought back or reconciled to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. This is the theme I started last week about God restoring all things. So here it is again. All right. So I'm going to go to a scripture that I did mention last week, but I'm going to, I'm going to open it up a little bit differently this time. So you, Paul's saying in, to the Ephesians, but he says to us today, you, all of you, are like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple. Your lives are being built up together. Built up together. See how this is not an individual thing? It, your lives are being built in together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. You, each one of you, are deeply connected to him. Now, here is, is uh, where uh, Paul is picking this up from. What I love is, the, is how scripture is so fluid, all the way, old covenant, new covenant. And this is where Isaiah prophesies this is what the sovereign Lord, he's prophesying, just like we prophesy, Isaiah is saying, hey, let me tell you something God is saying. God is saying this, look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone, a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. What is a cornerstone? It's different, very different from the way we make buildings today. But, but back in the day, there was a main stone that was set. And everything else was set on that one stone. So this is how you knew that there was a straight line. This is how you knew that the building was going to stand, actually. And so what this is saying is that Jesus is safe. And that the only way our lives line up, both individually but also as a, as a group of people, is when we listen to Jesus, when we walk with Jesus, he tells us, he shows us what the Father says is good and right for our lives. It's what he does. And so this is how it's built up. Now check this out. This is a, this is a, a representation, a model of, of the old temple, the one uh, that Solomon built. Of course, it was rebuilt at some point. But I, wanted to, I want you just to see a picture of of the temple, this is um, it's a replica. It's actually in Jerusalem. I've been there to see it. Pretty amazing. But before I talk about it, um, this looks pretty sterile because nobody's in there right now. This is actually what it would look like if it were like at a um, Passover, you know, a time when everybody's coming from all around, from hundreds of miles in every direction. So they're coming, you know, cramming into this place. This is, uh, uh, if, the, if it's the Passover, it's the one time of the year where the priest is going in, making the sacrifice, so that people can actually, the guilt that they've been feeling, the shame that they've been feeling, they get to let it go. But of course, the problem is, as soon as they let it go, the next year's already starting, and some of the guilt and shame is already coming back on. However, they also came to worship, and they, they came to celebrate who God is, right? But Jesus just, what we just read is that you, 
are the stones, living stones, that are, that are building up God's dwelling place. God, no long, longer are, are people having to all, you know, cram in some place to find God. They're going to find him in us. That's what the scripture's saying. They're not going to have to go to a place. They're going to find him right here in the midst of us. They will find him because you are connected to the Lord, because, because you have intimacy with him. But they're going to find him also because we encourage each other. We love each other. We're starting to live in the way that the Father always intended. And the world is, is dying for that. They're, they're so longing for relationships that, that, are, that are full of love, that are full of um, uh, hope, that, that are full of, um, uh, what's the word? Honor is what I'm looking for, that are full of honor. The, the world's not used to honor. Instead, usually it's what's in it for me and how can I look better, that kind of thing. But when we actually choose to honor each other, the more that we actually are like Jesus, not only for our own lives, which is wonderful, but, but with each other, in amongst each other, the world starts looking on and saying, there's something here I've, I've been longing for. I, I need this. Um, so this is what you've been called to do, is to, to actually be now the living stones around the cornerstone who is Jesus. And then back to the other verse I used last week, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. So keep coming to him who is the living stone. Though he was rejected and discarded by men, but he was chosen by God, is priceless in God's sight. Come and be his living stones who are continually being assembled into a sanctuary for God. Do you know, I, I was just thinking about this a little while ago when we were singing a song and we were, we were just enjoying the Lord's presence together. And I felt and I, I, I could see in my mind's eye, I could see the pleasure of the Father beaming over us, smiling over us. He was so thrilled, so happy that we were agreeing with his heart, but he was thrilled we were doing it together. And there was just this, there was this uh, big yes in his heart to all of us at the same time saying, yes. I love your worship. I am that good father. I am the one who's, um, you know, who's, who's um, going to be the very things we, we talked about, we sang about, that God's going to be who he says he is. He said, yes, I am that father. And he, he's so thrilled with, with our, our hearts um, and our worship to him together. So, so um, we are a sanctuary for God. For now you serve us holy priests, offering up spiritual sacrifices that he readily accepts through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. Now, remember I just mentioned a minute ago about the Passover and the priest that goes in the once a year offering the sacrifice. If this is all new to you, by the way, um, you know what a great book to read to understand all this is that gives you a quick overview is the book of Hebrews. So if you're just like, well, I don't really get all this Old, Old Testament uh, sacrifice thing, um, book of Hebrews kind of explains it and then explains how Jesus is now the perfect and only and last sacrifice. Um, but let's just talk about that. What does it mean to be a priest? And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Brent, do I get to wear a cool hat like that and have, you know, a staff like that? I know what you're thinking. And I'd say that's up to God, you know, it's up to you and God. But what does it mean that it calls us priests? Because it, does, it says we are priests. I know that sounds really weird because we, that's not really in a lot of our culture. Some of you grew up Catholic, so maybe it's a little closer to your culture. But what does that really mean? Well, 
I just told you the priest was the one, especially the high priest was the one that could go in once a year and, and was the one to offer the sacrifices, right? Because he had that access. Guess what you have? Always. Always. You have direct access to God. Always. And let me tell you, not direct access as in, I'm going to go in like this so I don't get killed, you know, but actually the one that gets to run to a papa, jump on his lap and tell him what's going on in your life. And if you've, if you've never really talked to, to God as a papa, as a father, I encourage you to explore that with him because it's really what makes it fun. If it stays this really rigid, dry, religious ordeal, that's not fun. And that really wasn't what he intended for you. I'm telling you, Jesus opened the way. The curtain was torn. The way is opened. And that means that, that even when you are having a day that you wish you could forget, even if you are saying, um, this, was, this was a day that I, I, I did things that I would be ashamed of, His heart for you does not change. His acceptance of you does not change. The only thing that, that appears to you to separate you from God is your own heart that says, I don't think God would want to be around me. That's the only thing. And I'm telling you, that's not real separation. That's your imagined separation. That's the enemy playing games with you to try to keep you distant from a papa who adores you always. Now, does he love everything we do? Of course not. That's the very point of why Jesus came and said, that's why the scripture just said he's the cornerstone, which means things are lining up with him. He came to live out the Father, perfect love to us, and says, hey, I'm going to show you what life is like when you yield to the Holy Spirit, when you live in love, in a love relationship with your Father. This is what it looks like. So there is a way to live, to enjoy all that God has for you. But, but we're all still in a process, myself included, to always be lined up with that cornerstone. We're not, we're not always lined up. But our, but our loving Father says, just, let's just come and talk about it. Just come and talk to me. In what you think are your darkest moments, he says, that's when I want you to run to me. Don't run the other way. Offering spiritual sacrifices. You're like, well, that's kind of weird. What does that mean? Because um, we no longer, thank you, Jesus, there's no animal sacrifices, none of that kind of stuff. God says, I'm not interested, actually. And, uh, but, so let's look at a scripture really quick, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, that's all of you, in view of God's mercy, his goodness, his tenderness, his love, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. There it is. Holy and acceptable and pleasing to God, who is your true and proper worship. This is what is worship to God. Which is just saying, which is just saying what we just said over Giselle today. I'm yours. When we were singing that song, I'm yours. I don't remember the song now, but we were all singing it. And you guys were singing it with all your might. That's actually when I felt the Father's pleasure most of all. Because we were all singing, I am yours, I am yours, full-throated. He's like, yes, yes, you are mine. This is offering a living sacrifice. So even if you were to say, God, I, I love you so much, I, I, I'll give my life for you. He's like, that's awesome. And, and uh, actually, you already did because you died when you accepted Christ. But he says, but I need you living because I actually need you to represent my heart to this world. And, and again, see how it says all of us are doing this together. It's, this is not just about one or two people. 
We're all priests. We all offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Then there's intercession and forgiveness. I want to throw these in together. Our, this is, again, I'm back to saying, what makes us priests? Well, the priests were the one interceding, right, on behalf of the people. And they were also saying, Lord, forgive them. Guess what, guess what role we get to play? We intercede. We step in for those that maybe don't even know Jesus yet. We step in in prayer for those that are wandering and off, you know, doing things that are just destroying their lives. But we still pray and we say, God, bring them back. And we say, just like Jesus did on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Some of you, you've had parents that have wounded you greatly. Do you know one of the most powerful things you can do as a priest is to say, Father, forgive them. And I'll go on the next part, which is harder, for they really didn't know what they were doing, which some of us would say, oh, no, they knew what they were doing. We, we know that actually, um, this, is, this was kind of a thought I had interestingly, that we know that it says that, um, that sin passes along for three, four generations, but it says that the righteousness, those that draw close to the Lord, that passes on for a thousand generations. So what I'm saying is, is as priests, you're thinking, well, I don't like that idea that I could, that my life could be somehow cursed or a little off because of what my father, my grandfather, my grandmother, somebody did. That doesn't sound right. Did you know you have power to do something about that? That's what this is saying. This is saying you don't have to wait out three generations and hope it dies out. It's saying you get to be the one to stand in like Jesus did as the priest and say, Father, forgive them. That's how the cycle gets broken. And then as you forgive, you let Jesus heal your heart in the places that need healing. And the places where you didn't get what you needed, whether that was tenderness or warmth or nurture or whatever it was, he starts filling in those gaps for you. He says, let me be that for you. But you understand all of this is because you keep running to him and you keep running to him and you keep running to him, right? That's, what, that's how this works. And the last one, yeah, as as. Priests, we are agents of reconciliation. Now, what, what does that mean? Let's go look at that one real quick. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. God put the word square with, sorry, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. Do you see how this was all God and his choice? God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now when we say, become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. This is in, that's in the Message Bible. This is our role. And unfortunately, for a long time, this, the, many followers of Jesus have gotten it wrong. Because we thought wrongly that our role was to point out what people were doing wrong. And to point out just how bad they were and just how hard it would be for God to really love them. Which is the exact opposite of the good news. The good news is there's a Father who already loves you. There's a Savior who already paid for the entire world. Don't you want closeness and intimacy? Don't you want the thing your heart's been aching for. See, that's the good news, because he already wants you. 
And that's how we're reconciling the world. That's our job as priests. We're bringing the world to him. Ultimately, God, when, when he says he's redeeming all things, he's, he's making all things right again. When it says restoring, that means he's got to bring us back to something, right? If you're restoring something, you're going back to something, right? Going back to the garden is where we're going. We're going back to the garden the way it was in the garden is where we're going back to. And the word shalom in Hebrew actually has that connotation right in it. Hebrew is a very fascinating uh, language, and, and it's word pictures. It's, it's very different than English. That's, that's very literal. And so in the Hebrew, it means shalom, which we call peace, but it means wholeness, wellness, peace, and freedom from conflict. Wouldn't you love a life that has freedom from conflict? Anyone? Right? <laughs> I see two hands. <laughs> Double hands. Oh, my goodness. Doesn't that just feel amazing? Freedom from all conflict? Are you kidding me? Is that even possible? Let me say this. It's more and more possible, not just when we get to heaven. That's when all of it's not just possible, but a, but a forever reality. But I'm saying in this life, it, it is more and more and more possible as God changes you. As he changes your heart. He's changing other people's hearts too. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's not just about you, but I'm saying when God changes your heart, that's when things start to shift. He wants to bring us back to the garden. What, what, think about Adam and Eve for a moment. You know, th- there's that perfect intimacy again. No, no distance, no separation, no distraction. Like they, they, they had it made. They, had it, they were close, right? So, it goes, so what happened? It goes to when they, when they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What happened there? They chose, instead of, of intimacy and connection, which was already theirs, they said, we're going to choose for ourselves what we think is right and not right. And that was a big uh-oh, because they didn't need to do that. God said, actually, my heart will lead you into everything that's good for you. If you just lean on me and trust me, it's really that simple. But through deception through the enemy, they decided to, to, to take that. Now, a lot of times we think, well, see, that problem is sin. Once they, once they took from that fruit, that's why, you know, sin is the big problem. Actually, sin isn't the big problem. The big problem is, is that sense of separation and that we are actually not agreeing with who God says we are. This is the big deal. I'm going to share a story with you in just a moment. See your eyes glazing over just a little. No, actually, I know you're thinking about a lot of stuff, actually. Um, but the Lord, the Lord is saying, he's saying, um, if you think about the story, he says, he goes to Adam and Eve, and he says, after they took from the fruit, and he says, hey, what's, what's going on? You know, where, where are you? Now, trust me, God knew where they were. Um, but interestingly, who is going after whom? And that story has never changed through all of history and in, your, in all of your life. God is always pursuing you. He's saying, hey, what's up? He knows something's up, but he's saying, hey, what's up? Just seeing if they want to talk about it, right? <laughs> so, 
So Adam's like, oh, man, you know, he's nervous. He's sweating a little. He's like, um, we hid because we were naked. <laughs> and God says, who told you that? Think about this for a minute. Who told you that? In other words, you got some wrong information that didn't come from me. Because prior to this, you had no shame. You had, there was no shame in this equation. There was no guilt. There was nothing and you're hiding from me. To this day, even believers, when we're, not, when we're not locked into who the Father says we are, who Jesus paid for, we can go right back into that place of hiddenness. And we try to hide from God. Because why? Because we're not agreeing with who he says we are. That's, this, is the, this is where it's all stemming from. But Jesus paid the price for us to agree and we are more and more and more. That's the good news. Like, this is not doomsday. This is not terrible news. But I do want to say this is where we get into problems. And I, I want to share a story with you. Um, this is a story that, that uh, I don't think I've, I've shared with you before. A new one. Um, so, my first uh, job as a pastor um, was in this it was in Pleasanton. It was about almost 30 years ago. I got a job as an associate pastor at a Presbyterian church. Some of you, a lot of you know that. Some of you don't. What, what you really don't know, many of you, is that I wore a robe and a stole. I know, I know. I know I'm impressing you right now. I did not get the cool hat and the cool staff. I did not... It's not too late. It's not too late. We could still do that. So there's actually a great story that brought me there, but I won't tell you that one right now. Um, Jesus in a dream brought me there. There you go. That was the very short version. So there I was. And uh, I was there for about six years with the senior pastor, another associate pastor. We actually had a great relationship. We... um, Life was good. This was, by the way, this was my exploring years. I, this is where I was new in the things of the Spirit. Um, and I was like, every, every time I could, I would, I would run off to some conference. I went to Anaheim Vineyard a lot with John Wimber. This was early 90s, if you're wondering history. And, uh, and I would just go as often as I could. And I'm telling you, I felt like I was a kid in a candy store in there. I'm like, I had no idea that the kingdom was this cool. I didn't know you could have this much fun with the Lord. And so, um, so anyway, we, I had these six years with these guys. And, um, and we, we got along really well. Um, and at the end of that six years, the senior pastor left the church. He went to a church in Oklahoma. And... Um, the way it works in the Presbyterian Church is that they bring in an interim pastor, someone that's going to be there for a little while and plug the gap, if you will, until they actually get a new head, a senior pastor. And usually that takes a while in the Presbyterian Church. It, committees and, you know, and such. It takes a, a good year at least. So this person is coming, but before he comes, there's a, there's a couple-month gap before even the interim pastor comes. So myself and the other associate... Like, we, we actually have great relationships with the church. It was a larger church, probably about, I don't know, seven 800 people. And uh, we were very loved. We jumped in. We started preaching messages. Like, we've got everything figured out. We're keeping all the 
different groups go and the healing teams and the whatever teams. And we're just jumping in and going, going for it and uh, actually loving it. Um, so along comes the interim pastor. Pastor Jim was his name. And, um, and he comes in and, I, and he, and I'm just going to explain how I viewed him back then before God dealt with my heart, is that he came in uh, like a bull in a china shop. Um, he, the way I looked at it, it was his uh, duty, his self-appointed duty to try to disassemble everything and discombobulate everything and make everybody miserable until the next person came on. That's what I thought. Um, actually, what it was was I was offended um, and hurt because... Because as soon as he got here, everything we were doing, he was like, thanks, but no thanks. We're done with that. doesn't matter what sermons you had planned or whatever you're doing. Yeah, you're not doing that now. So he had a very strong personality. And actually, you know, looking back on it, I can see that in that system, you kind of needed that because he was getting ready for kind of a new start for somebody else. But it didn't feel good being in it. Now, here was the thing. I was young and arrogant. And the problem with that is that I was young and arrogant. So, um, which means, thank you, which means, <laughs> just thought I would explain that to you. <laughs> uh, I anoint me in Jesus' name. All right. I got some of that in my mouth. Um, so that was the problem. And uh, what it meant is that I decided pretty much like, I was going to do whatever I could to um, make life not fun for this person. And actually, I was really kind of thinking about what I could do to kick him out. Really, I really was. Um, and so, I remember he had been here a couple of, he'd been here a couple of, um, uh, a couple of, maybe a month or so. And um, I remember that we had a staff meeting where he didn't show up one day. And let me tell you, this was the perfect breeding ground for just putting all kinds of venom out there. And, and I got to tell you, I was probably the, you know, leading the charge. And so we all just started throwing in there. Rah, 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 rah. I don't need to fill in the blank. I think you get it. We each did it. And I got so emboldened during that meeting, like fired up. I'm like, that's it. He's going. He's leaving. He's destroying our church. He doesn't know what he's doing. So I go into my office, and I pick up the phone, and I called the leader of all of the Presbytery of San Francisco. And I told him what was up. Told him what this guy was doing, right? And at the end of that conversation, he was, he was listening. He was a good listener. And then at the end of it, he says, so, Brent, what are you saying? In other words, he was basically asking, are you really pressing charges? Are you really going to do this? Because there's going to be a lot of ramifications to this, is what he was saying without saying it. And somehow the wisdom of the Lord came on me right in that moment. And I said, never mind, we're, we're good. We'll deal with it. He's like, okay, then. Glad we could have this little chat. So it didn't end here. I'll tell you why it didn't end here. Because my heart still had major issues. I had, I had pride. I had, there was, I, I didn't know what honor was back then. I'm sharing this story as I continue on because I'm letting you know 
There is a process by which we represent Jesus. And it's not always going through a prayer line. And I love it when we, you know, you get the little zappo and I feel the Holy Spirit and it feels great. Yeah, but how God usually changes us mostly is through the hard stuff when he has to grab a hold of our hearts when we actually don't even want to hear it. All right, so going on with my story, now you know where we're going with this. So I, I was upset enough where I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to fast and pray. Because I'm going to fast and pray that you take this bum out of here. <laughs> I'm just being real. You ever, you ever like fast and pray with your own agenda? Anyone? Okay, it's only me. So did I mention I was young and arrogant? Okay, all right. So, so when... About, I don't know what it was. Day two, day three. I'm pretty hungry by now. I'm getting up really early. I used to have to get up super early in the morning if I wanted alone time with God. Thanks to my firstborn, Derek, who always got up early. Like, no matter how early I got up, he was like, Dad, Dad. I'm like, oh, you're so cute. But I wanted time with the Lord. So, come here, you little... Come here. Anyway, so I got up really early one morning. And... And I was, I was kind of having it out with the Lord and, and praying, Lord, Lord, what's going on? And, and, and this was the, the, the shifting moment. This was the breaking moment where God started to speak to my heart that it was up to me to forgive him and to release the offense and to choose. I don't know if I knew the word honor back then, but to choose to honor him is what he was, the Lord was telling me and whatever language I understood it back then. Um, and you know what? I'm, I'm, because of the time that I've had um, through the years with the Lord, I know that when he starts speaking to my heart, I know it's a really um, important thing to pay attention and to actually um, respond as he's leading. And so it was one of those moments. And so I got on my face and, you know, did business with, with God, but forgave uh, Pastor Jim and released him and released the offense. And in that, in that moment, I heard uh, pretty clearly the Lord tell me or encourage me to go talk to him and personally uh, let him know, uh, ask for forgiveness. Um, I've, I've done a lot of that through my life, by the way. And, and going, I'm not saying you always have to go to the person, a person that you have forgiven. Just listen to the Lord. But I will say there are times, especially if you want relationship with that person or deep, deeper relationship, it's pretty important that you make things right. And so I uh, went to this pastor, Pastor Jim. I went into his office. I still remember it to this day. Sat across from his office, and I said, um, I said, Jim, I have something I need to tell you. I said, I, I need to f- ask for your forgiveness. And he was like, oh? I said, yeah. I said, um, I've said some bad things about you. Um, you know, I've, I've really, you know, come against you. And I said, then I started explaining my heart, which is always a good thing to do. I just said, you know, this was a really hard transition for me. And, um, you know, myself and Dennis, the other pastor, we, we were doing a whole lot before you got here. And so when you came um, and, and kind of dismissed us of the duties of what we were doing, I said that, that just was, um, it, it, it was hurtful, it was hard. But I want you to know that um, not only um, do I forgive you and I, and I release, you know, offense against you, but I want you to know I'm actually here to serve you now. 
I want to serve you what, for whatever time it is. And I, I don't remember all that he said back. He was very kind and gracious about it. Um, but what I can tell you is our relationship completely changed from that point on, completely. And do you know that it really had 100% to do with me and my attitude and my heart that had to change. And this is what the Lord showed me. He showed me that if I had not chosen to listen to God's heart and to be corrected and to humble myself and to choose honor because of who I am, not because someone deserved it, if I didn't learn that lesson right then, two things he told me very clearly. One, I wouldn't have stayed in this area where I still am three decades later because, because by actually making things right with him, owning my own stuff, asking for his forgiveness, telling him I wanted to serve his vision, it gave me great favor when six months later um, I was, I was uh, in the next transition phase um, and ended up starting, the church, uh, starting a church. But I wouldn't have been here. But the second thing, and, and this is really important for all of you right now just to hear this, because God loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you. That doesn't change. He loves you so much that the things in your heart that are really um, tearing you up and tearing up people up around you, he really wants to deal with those things. But this is what he said to me that's true for any of us. He said, but if you won't let me deal with it now, that's okay. I'll love you just the same. But I will bring you back around again, and you will deal with this at another time. And I want to say to you that that moment was far more... Um, important and powerful than I could have possibly known at the time. At the time, it doesn't feel all that big. You're like, in, in some ways, you're like, gosh, I didn't really want to do that, but, you know, I did it because you said so, Lord. But here's the thing. Once, once you say yes to God, let him deal with your heart, and, and when you step out and do the things that he asks you to do, you are changed. It changes who you are. I'm not saying you never, like, might fall a little bit back into that, but I'm saying it really changes who you are. Like, I, I learned honor in a way I didn't know it. And, I, and it's a lesson I had to learn if I was going to have authority in a region. It was a lesson I had to learn. God, God's call in my life has been all about unity. If I don't learn those things, I would never be unified with other pastors. Do you see how big this was? It was, it was huge what he was doing. I just didn't know it at the time. So I'm saying to each one of you, I'm going back to this, and I want to kind of end with this, that transformation of the earth begins with transformation in your heart. We are, we are the light and the salt of Jesus on the earth. We are the world changers. You know the third part of our uh, vision that, that Russ mentioned earlier, we, we equip world changers. Actually, Jesus does, but he does it through us. And we're actually equipping each other, even when we don't know it. And sometimes it's in the midst of those relationships we would really rather not deal with. And I'm not saying I get it perfect all the time, so don't hear that. I'm just saying the more we go along, we've got to give God. We run into his arms because we have open access, but we also have to say, Papa, what's, what's up with my heart? How come, how come this is happening? What part is my part? Because I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but you have no control over anybody else. But you actually have a lot more of control of your own heart than you might imagine. And that word, by the way, in, in Galatians, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and it says self-control, 
Actually, I learned recently, the word self is not even in that word, in the root of that word. It actually means spirit strength or spirit control. It goes right back around to saying, the Lord's going to direct you. Will you listen to him? Will you do what he says with his power? That's part of the fruit of the spirit, which is all about love, right? I'm just going to stop and pray for a moment. We have a few minutes. Um, I I really did want to end a little early because I wanted to pray. Um, Yeah, let's just pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your uh, steadfast devotion to us as your children, your commitment, your covenant that we are yours. I mean, we were singing it with with all we, all we had within us. We're yours. We belong to you. And God, what you promise is, is that you're building us up into something that is the very place you are dwelling, and, it's, and it's, the, it's the actual relationships. In fact, Ephesians 4, when it talks about, it talks about the, the, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, they're actually building up the connections, the relationships within people. That's actually, Lord, the thing that so pleases your heart is the depth of connection, the depth of love, the choice to forgive, the choice to honor, all the things you're teaching us. This is where you love to dwell, God. And this is actually where uh, Jesus said that that when the world sees you loving each other, they're going to want me when the world sees it. And so, God, thank you that um, because you're so committed to us, even even when we forget sometimes who we are, even when we, uh, through our own pride, our own hurt, our own anger, we uh, lash out at others, we want to cut relationships off, we want to, there's all kinds of things. We want to go numb out. There's, There's so many things that we all do. And, Lord, you are saying to us, would you trust that I am for you, I am with you. We are never apart. I will give you good counsel. I will help you to do it. And I'm going to lead you into a life, a life that is full, a life that that has hope, and one that's going to start blessing others more and more and more because you are my chosen ones. This is where I dwell. I dwell right in you, amongst all of you. I'm dwelling right now right now and so wherever wherever God is just talking to you about your own heart just just let him know right now God I give you permission I give you permission I give you access to my heart I just say God I want I want you to show me what's right show me what's off give me spirit strength to walk out the life that Jesus paid for And I know how you work, Lord. I know that there have been seeds planted in hearts here tonight, which is, at least the the way that looks for me, is that sometimes I find myself a couple days later on my knees crying out something because because of a seed that was planted, something somebody said. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, would you do that? Because because you want your children free. I want to be free. I want all your children in this room free. It's just what you do. It's who you are. 
So Holy Spirit, would you come? <laughs> Even more. Even more. Holy Spirit, would you draw near and nurture, bring, bring that nurturing, comforting to those who've been feeling alone, who've been feeling scared. Just go deeper, Holy Spirit. Touch hearts tonight. And Lord, to those who are feeling like failures, those who are feeling like, like the old covenant, like guilt and shame is just piling up, would you come and bring truth right now? Would you come and bring hope, <laughs> tangible hope inside of these hearts? And, and Father, would you, would you hold each one of your sons and daughters here tonight to let them know let them know there's nothing you can do that's going to make me give up on you and on my plans for your life. And Lord, wherever the enemy has tried to come and just haunt people, whether it's in their sleep, whether it's, whether it's just, you know, bombarding with thoughts that are destructive, I pray right now the protection of the blood of Jesus over each, each mind, over, each, over all the thoughts, the thought life. And I say, Holy Spirit, would you bring the transformation? Would you bring to us and, and cause us to be engaged in that renewing of the mind? Thank you, Father. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Mm. And Lord, would you take us into more and more intimate places? Right now, just in your mind, um, I know you saw a picture a while ago, but what for you would, would it look like to be back in the garden with Papa, with Jesus, with Holy Spirit? What would that look like? What would that feel like? No conflicts. Perfect love. No pain. And we thank you, Father, thank you that your intention is that there comes a time in which you usher each one of us back home to heaven, a very real place. But also, you're saying to us, I want to spend more time in the garden with you now, not someday. So God, put, put that back in our hearts, that longing some of you already feel that longing, but just that longing, that deepening longing that causes us to run to you rather than to run to other things. We so, we so want more experiences, more encounters, more of the tenderness and compassion of just feeling it so that they're not just words, but they actually deeply touch our hearts, that you deeply touch our hearts.
So, Papa, I'm just going to ask right now that you kiss every heart in this room right now. <laughs> kiss every heart in this room, Papa. Because you know where the boo-boos are. You know where the frustration's been. You know, you know everything. You know where we wanted to give up. where we felt betrayed. The list kind of goes on and on. But I'm saying, Papa, kiss our hearts awake again to you. In Jesus' name, amen.